Hey guys, before we get to today's show, I just wanted to tell you about a promotion I'm running for the next month. In honor of fall, which is my favorite season, I'm offering 15% off one of my coaching packages. If you go to suzannebanker.com slash coaching, you'll see three packages at the bottom. The first one is for engaged or newly married couples who want to learn the four main potential stressors of every marriage and how to get a handle on those now so they do not become a problem later. I cannot convey enough the significance of early intervention in a marriage. If you heard last week's podcast with Les Parrott entitled Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, then you know what I'm talking about. I work with a lot of women who've been wives for some time and are just now learning how to be married. That works, but it's a lot harder later. That's why I offer this package for both women and men who are newly married or even engaged. I'm so passionate about telling them the things that no one has to make their journey a thousand times easier. So go to SuzanneBanker.com slash coaching and scroll down to the first package labeled premarital slash newly married. When you sign up for this package, you'll put fall 2020, that's fall, F-A-L-L 2020, to get 15% off this four-session package. Again, that's SuzanneBanker.com slash coaching. From the magnificent Midwest, this is the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. This program is brought to you in part by Let's Get Real, where forensic accountant Tiffany Couch uses her financial skills to shine the light on the real issues we all face every day. If you'd like to make decisions based on facts rather than on rhetoric and on cultural pressure, go to letsgetreallife.com a place where you can find tools to improve your communication skills and to increase your connection to humanity. That's letsgetreallife.com. Okay, we're going to jump right into today's conversation with Mallory Millett, the conservative sister of the radical feminist Kate Millett. Feminist icon Kate Millett passed away a couple years ago at the age of 82, and her 1970 book, Sexual Politics, was called The Bible of Women's Liberation by the New York Times and had a seismic effect on feminist thought. It launched Millett as what the Times called, quote, a defining architect of second wave feminism, end quote. In a cover story that same year, Time Magazine crowned her the Mao Zedong of women's liberation. But Kate's sister, Mallory, is the polar opposite of her sister. In a riveting article entitled Marxist Feminism's Ruined Lives, Mallory revealed what she saw as the subversive undercurrent of her sister's passionate radicalism. An unrepentant conservative, Mallory has been very vocal about her early experiences with the feminist movement and her subsequent defection. She's a former actress who resides in New York City with her husband of over 20 years. Welcome to the show, Mallory. I'm so happy to be with you this morning, Suzanne. This is wonderful. I've been wanting to talk to you ever since I read this article. Um, I know it's been a few years. It's called My Sister Kate, The Destructive Feminist Legacy of Kate Millett, who's your sister. Yes. And it was, it was originally published in, well, let's see, I found this on your site, but I think it was on Front Page Magazine, wasn't that? Yes. Okay, so you're connected somehow with um, David Horowitz, who's great. I yes, I, I'm the longest standing member of the board of directors of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. David and Horowitz and I have been working together for 30 years uh, to try to stamp out uh, uh, Marxism in American society. 
Yeah, he's very interesting. I've never spoken with him, but he's got quite a story of having been a, a big 60s liberal back in the day, right? Sort yes, of like well, you. Sort of like you. We're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. He's I, I the one who started the free speech movement at Berkeley. Got it. Got it. Yeah, he's great. I, I need to have him on sometime. Um, okay, so so let's, t- let's just tell people a little bit about who you are in your background um, and how, well, I'm going to get into this article that you wrote about your sister that gets, that gets to the heart of what really, what the feminist movement really looked like back in the day, because you had an up close and personal front seat. And so um, I want you to just tell people a little bit about who you are, though, just real quickly before we get to that. My, my name is Mallory Millett, and uh, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, raised in Catholic convent schools. I had an older sister named Kate Millett, with whom I shared a bedroom. We shared bunk beds. Uh, and um, she then went on to become the major militant leader of the second wave of feminism in the United States. And um, my story is, is about uh, her madness her, uh, and the spreading and metastasizing of her madness through all of the colleges and universities in America. She founded the women's studies courses and the gender studies courses in colleges and universities all over the United States. And I was with her uh, during uh, the inception of this whole thing when they began their activism in the 60s in New York City. And um, I just, I've been spilling the beans about these women now for, since 2014, I've, I've been writing about this and telling everybody about the pernicious, vile, mendacious, lying band of people these are who have taken over offices everywhere. Um, you know, everybody from Loretta Lynch to Susan Rice to Hillary Clinton to, uh, uh, you know, all, all Lois uh, Lerner, all of these women who have uh, Kamala Harris and uh, uh, well, and in the in, in the universities too, not just government, but of course the universities. Yeah, these where it's these really people, precious. these these women that I got involved with through my sister in New York City in the uh, early seventies were hell bent on destroying Western civilization, and that was their uh, their uh, avowed uh, goal. That was their aim was to destroy Western civilization. So I know at the beginning you sort of you were you were involved in it yourself, maybe more a little bit from a distance, and it, it probably took you a while when you were watching it going on to really absorb what was really happening, right? Because you were very young. Yes, you, I was you, very young, and I was and I had been out of the country. I hadn't lived in America for four years. I had been living in third world countries in uh, the Philippines and Hong Kong and Afghanistan and Pakistan and. Uh, I had been through this adventure for four years where I never came back to America. So when I finally did come back after four years, I was completely, completely in shock because when I left the country, it was uh, pillbox hats and little short white gloves and the Jackie Kennedy look. And when I arrived back in America, there were uh, hippies and flower children streaming across Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles where I first landed. And suddenly the country had been taken over by pot smoking, LSD dropping hippies uh, who were changing the whole landscape. Now, had you known that your sister Kate was part of that when you were gone? Well, I I kind of, uh, 
I hadn't really been in touch with Kate during those four years. Uh, I had despised her while we were growing up. She was a loathsome bully who made my life absolutely miserable and uh, beat me up and tried to kill me so many times. She was a very, very mentally ill person. And, uh, and so when I came back to America, I had kind of forgotten how nutty she was. And I figured she had grown up, you know. She was being very successful in New York. And she encouraged me to come to New York City. Uh, we're starting a movement. We're starting something called the National Organization of Women. And you can be right in on the beginning of it. And we'll help you get started in New York. And you can make your career and everything as a liberated woman. So I fell for this. And I came and I stayed with her in her hippie Bowery loft with her and her Japanese sculptor husband, a wonderful man named Fumio Yoshimura. And uh, so she invited me to all these meetings. So I sat in on all these women's meetings. There'd be like 14 women sitting all around a long oval table and they were plotting how to bring down uh, American culture and how to create a brand new culture uh, where everybody was promiscuous they wanted to encourage, they wanted to develop uh, promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, abortion, and homosexuality. This was their end game, was to infiltrate all of the institutions in America and spread these things, this um, uh, promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, abortion, and homosexuality. And when you look back now over those 50 years, look how successful they've been. They've it's completely hard. destroyed our culture. It's hard for me to imagine that it would be stated so um, plain as day when my yeah. whole argument has been that this has been this insidious, certainly in the last several decades, the message or the narrative is much more insidious. It's just sort of inculcated into, for example, the curriculum in schools. Or it's, yes. it, or it's a message through the media, through... Um, stories and advertisements but it's not really in your face so it's a mass it's hard for me to imagine t sitting around a table and actually stating what you're doing outright these i mean i shouldn't women, laugh but yeah these women concocted this as a plot it was very clearly uh set out in these meetings i attended around 1969 1970 and they sat around this big long table with like 14 women and these were very prominent women. One of them was the niece of uh, FDR Secretary of War, Kate Stimson. Her uncle had been the Secretary of War, Stimson, during World War II. You can imagine when she was in school uh, and, and it was the Vietnam thing and everything, people were saying, oh, you're a warmonger. You come from that family. So she had to dispel that. You know, she had to do some sort of compensatory behavior to not be bullied because her family were warmongers. I mean, this was the kind of thing that was going on. You remember, it was the war in Vietnam, and there were all of these uh, objections to the war going on and, and all this activism. But, you know, the, these things were plotted uh, long ago by a group called the Frankfurt Group uh, in, uh, in Germany. They uh, went to the, the University of Frankfurt, and they formed these groups, and they had it all laid out how to do this sort of thing how to take over Europe, how to take over America. And, and if you can imagine that a bunch of women, sophisticated, uh, privileged, uh, very well-off, well-educated women were sitting around plotting 
the destruction of Western civilization because they decided that Western civilization was the most evil thing that had ever happened to the world. When of course it was exactly the opposite. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's get into how they were able to do this and, and specifically what you wrote in this article. You, well, I love see, how one you... of the things, one of the things, Suzanne, that you see people think that this change in our culture that's been so drastic those women pounding on the Supreme Court doors during the Kavanaugh hearings, all these looney tune women who have gone crazy all over the country now with Black Lives Matter. They're in the streets screaming. They're in their front mm-hmm. seats of their cars screaming they're, that this was all sort of an inadvertent change that just happened in our culture inadvertently. It's kind of the way things went. And Suzanne, it couldn't be further from the truth. This was an absolutely plotted takeover of America by a group of Europeans that started all their nonsense uh, right around the turn of the century, right around the the Russian Revolution in 1917. This all became a very serious, very well-drawn-out plot. Well, and Mallory, that's why I wanted to have you on, because I think it's important to talk to somebody who was there at the time, because yeah. most of the people who are listening to this certainly were not there. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you. Now, you wrote in this article at the opening, which I loved, you said um, that you get a kick out of feminist love affair with the word empowerment. <laughs> I couldn't agree yes. more. <laughs> and, and you pointed out how this is how they were able to do this, because of course they couldn't come out to the public and say what they were really looking to do. So instead they created these formulas, as you wrote, for ensnaring hapless souls into their deceits. And one of their slicker moves, you said, was to create a vocabulary designed to get around long held beliefs, mores, taboos, or fears, such as pro-choice is their new, is the new speak, there's the euphemism for the casual murder of a human being. Dreamers means illegal immigrants. Progressive denotes a group dragging us back to the cave. Sanctuary city means a place where no actual U.S. citizen is safe. This empowerment thing makes me especially crazy. And then you go on to explain. So I'm going to let you explain. What did they do with that beautiful word? Because it actually is a great word. Empowerment. What have they done to it? Empowerment. Well, what I find ludicrous and so crazy is that they, they, they protest that they, that they are empowering women. They're, they're empowering women. Now, these young women who did the thing with uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, mm. these, these girls who all came out and did the Me Too movement, when you ask them for their testimony of what happened, every single one of them, in their little silly girlish voices, they all seem to have the same valley girl accent, little girlish voices, uh, and, and they all will say, well, you know, he put his hand on my derriere or he put his arm around me and I, I, I panicked. I became terrified. I just didn't, didn't, know, didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Now, this is after 50 years of the empowerment by the feminists. Whereas when I was in Catholic convent school, we knew exactly what to do. You said no, you slapped his face, you left the room or you called a cop. There was no two ways about what you did. I love your reference there because I I went to Catholic school as well and so do our kids. And I I think it's the best form of empowerment you could possibly find. Yeah. I mean, we knew in 1956 how to behave when a guy was coming on and you didn't want him to. You just left. You didn't fall into bed with him because you just couldn't figure out what to do. You know, I mean, what what kind of empowerment is this? And you actually... Hopeless, helpless little nothings, you and, know. And you say that from having been in that position yourself with Roman Polanski, right? Because you were an actress back in the day. Yes, yeah. And you were in that world. So you, you, you know of what you speak. 
Yeah, Roman Polanski uh, tried to rape me. So when, when he was arrested for the, the thing that he was arrested for, uh, the, 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 uh, the abuse of a 13-year-old girl, uh, I knew right away, everybody was saying, oh, that's crazy. He couldn't have done that. And I was walking around my circle saying, excuse me, but he tried to rape me. And that it sounds perfectly sound to me. I, I can identify completely with what, what is going on here. The man is a rapist. He's a bully. And uh, when he comes on, he doesn't stop coming on. You have to, you have to run. You have to flee. Which you did, I guess. Yes. Which I did. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I found myself alone in a room with this man who simply would not take no for an answer. So I had to flee terrified, absolutely terrified. Okay. So let's get back to that empowerment word. So, so the idea behind empowerment is that in order for you to be an empowered woman, you have to reject anything that smacks of tradition or traditional femininity. That yes. is at the core of what empowerment according to feminism means, which is why I said, because the word empowerment on its own is a great word. I like it, but it's been yeah. so butchered because of it's associated with something that you almost can no, can no longer extricate. That well, to be because, an empowered woman, you have to be a, well, pretty much a lefty because you have to reject everything traditional. Yes. Well, and, and because, um, you know, all men want to do, according to these people, is, uh, is to uh, subject women mm -hmm. to some sort of uh, primitive enslavement mm -hmm. uh, where the woman is, you know, Kate set up this thing where she set up women's studies classes in all the colleges and universities around the United States. She personally traveled around and did this and, and founded these, these uh, women's studies and gender studies classes. And the whole point of the thing is that Western society has been set up so that the woman, women and the children are the proletariat and the male is the bourgeoisie and the, the women and children are the slaves of the, of the man. Whereas, you know, I'm going around talking and saying, excuse me, but I see something quite different. Yes. <laughs> I see that all through the centuries, the man has been the slave of the family. The man has exactly. slaved in mines and uh, fields and uh, uh, offices, factories, corporations, armies, political groups, small businesses, shops. On men behalf of the family. Saved. Slaved yes. 12 hours a day in order to put a roof over his family's heads and to clothe and feed his family. And I don't know where, where why we stopped giving credit to the slavery of the male. Uh, uh, it was a setup between, with a division of labor where the women ran the home and the man brought back all of the supplies needed for the family to subsist. Uh, it's a, it's and, been and it was one unit, one team, two different, two different tasks, perhaps, yes. but one unit, one family. You wrote yes. here, you wrote here in the piece, my thesis is this, quote, when men ran the world and women ran society, we had a chance to conduct our lives in some semblance of balance. But women have abdicated their running of society. That's true. And thus it has collapsed dramatically. Women forced their way into the running the world deal. And now we have a world gone mad. And the beautiful society in which we Western women built, in which we Western women built is in tatters. Moms decided they were the same as men, so they deserted the home and babies to grab their briefcases and rush out to run the world. 
So that, of course, is the goal of feminism. That was what it was all about. And this was billed as empowering. And of course, we know 40 years later that women are not empowered in the least as a rule. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some women who back in the day did not want to leave, lead traditional female lives and they were, well, they were free to do whatever they wanted. But the vast majority of women do want to be married and have families. And they do want their lives to sort of revolve around that as the core. Um, and so it just got cattywampus, in my opinion, uh, when the value shift was such that we, we turned it around and made the, 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 the desire to live like men and to pretend that there's more value in that, in that job, in that um, role, if you want to say it that way, that, that we, as you say, completely neglected the family and then eventually the community, because those two things go together, don't they? Yes, and one of the keys to this is promiscuity. You see, in order for women to prove that they're equal to men, they had to be sexually equal. They had to be able to just have as many sexual partners as they please. They could just be using their own bodies as amusement parks and, and any man they just fall into bed with just as a, a sex partner. It's always just to be a one night stand or it's just to, to, to get her rocks off as they say. And, and women should be just as free as men. And so in order to do that, they have to be promiscu promiscuous. They have to be very practiced in the art of birth control mm -hmm. and abortion is a necessity. Mm -hmm. If there's a child conceived, you have to be able to toss that child away into the garbage and have no consequences. See, women are trying to live lives that have no biological consequences. Yes. And that, that is preposterous. That's just not the way it's designed. And, 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 and I, what I keep promoting among the people I talk to and where I go and give lectures and things is that we must go along with the design. I mean, a dog is not a giraffe. A horse is not a cow. You know, we, we, we are human males and females, and we have a particular design. And for, in order to live a happy, wholesome, wonderful life on this planet, the best thing to do is to go along with the design. You know, you're uh, not going to eat through your ear. You're not going to, you know, stuff your food up your nostrils. You, you, to try to go against the design is just plain foolish, and it completely lacks common sense. And, and of course, you're speaking my language, and this is the theme of my um, my work. And then I try to under, help couples understand because I work with them that every when you're trying to do that, that's why you're having the conflict that you're having. I mean, it's the same thing across the board all the time in these marriages: is that you're pretending that biology is not a thing. And you haven't been taught to understand how different men are and what they bring to the table and what those needs are. And so you, you're, you're working with a narrative that's completely flawed that came from your sister's generation and is still with us today. Yeah. Um, and you, you're, basically you're working with the wrong set of tools. And then you're like, wait, I don't understand why it's not working. And then I have to explain why it's not working. And you have to work with, go with the biological tide rather than against it. And you yes. will have a smooth ride. It's very, very simple to understand. Just really, really hard for young people in particular to do because it's so counterintuitive for what they think it's supposed to be. Cause that's what they were. They were told the opposite their entire lives. They were so brainwashed. Mm -hmm. They're, I mean, you can't use the group think is just, a hoe. you know, you can't yeah. use a shovel as a mix master for your cake. You know, uh, um, it just, you know, it, it's so bizarre to have to be, uh, you know, if you notice the first 
sentence in that article you're referring to of mine. I say, it is so bizarre to be having to argue the perfectly obvious all the time. So let me be as offensive as I can possibly be, all right? Men are men, women are women, they're entirely different, and they're built to be a division of labor. Yep. It's, it's just nonsense to try to pretend it's anything else. And of course, we, you know, the other thing is we talk in such extremes in this society. That's another thing is anytime you try to point that out, there's a knee jerk reaction of going back, right? Versus going forward. And we have this, this, this narrative that we're sold, look, do you want to go back or do you want to go forward? Of course, we hear this even in presidential elections. Um, It's like, those are your only two choices as though there's not this vast middle ground where (laughs) it's, it's, we can allow for some progress that's natural to occur while how to marry that progress with those things that we know don't change, such as the fact that women have children and men do not. <laughs> right? That's right. never gonna change. We're trying it's to change never. it. <laughs> well they're trying to they're trying to create just the test tube baby. They have this dream now. If you talk to these people, their dream is to create a super race of children with Hollywood looks and genius IQs uh, without any sexual activity. Like they're just going to marry the sperm with the egg in, in, in laboratories, Mm -hmm. test tube babies, where they should just, the babies should all be born that way. They shouldn't even be gestated in a female body. They'll figure out a way someday as they do in brave new world, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where they, they're, they're gestated in some sort of bottle, you know, they're not even in a warm human female body anymore. They, they actually have this as their dream. And they, they want to put all the children should, the children should not be raised in families because according to these people, the family is an evil unit. And the father is always in the basement molesting the daughter or something. Yeah, uh, speaking it's of, It's always okay. this, this evil going on in the family. Whereas they, they just, everybody needs to go back and read the Bible. You know, we're all <laughs> sinners. There are evil people. There are evil activities. We have to be avoiding sin as much as possible. And it's all just so banal that we have to go back and say water is wet, up is up, down is down. Love it. Just all be reasonable here. Because if you try to talk to these people, they stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or they leave the room. They run out of the room. And see, I'm less concerned about, honestly, them, the people like your sister, and more about this fact. Here's another quote that you wrote in the article, and then I'm going to ask you a question. You wrote that they infiltrated, they meaning feminists and what you were seeing back in the day, they infiltrated every system and department in education, media, entertainment, government, justice, Wall Street, you name it, and they're there. For decades since they started their stealth invasion, the father in every sitcom has been debased and most of all clueless. I am dumbfounded at the efficiency with which these women recruited others and wheedled their way into everything in 50 short years. And that's where I come in with that whole, it's so insidious now. It's not like when you were sitting around the table, like you said, and you heard them say what they were going to do. Now it's like you said, it's, it's, in, it's infused into the culture to where you can't even point your finger to it, so obviously anyway, and, and then discuss it. Um, well, I keep saying to my husband, you know, it's as if they've taken this beautiful piece of fabric and injected ink into it. 
and there's ink all through the fabric. Now, how do you get the ink out of oh, the fabric? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. I'm terrible with analogies. That's a great analogy. But that's what they've done. I mean, I don't even know how to begin to get this ink out of our fabric now. Yeah. There are people you'll talk to, and they'll, they'll agree with most of everything you say. And then they'll hit, you'll hit upon something, and they'll say, well, but I don't know. You know, I think that the transsexual, you know, if a little boy wants to be a girl, I don't see why oh. that shouldn't happen. What? What? Excuse it's me? It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. You think that the person that you're talking to is... Is, is, is getting it, but there always seems to be something where there, there's a place they're not willing to go, right? Yes, and I, yes. and, and I, I don't know if that's always because they happen to know somebody. And so I find that that's often very difficult for people. If they know someone personally who's been affected by whatever it is you're talking about, yes. they immediately want to take it all back as though if it happens to your friend or family member, it can't possibly be true. Yes. It's like, you know, when, when you talk about abortion, You'll get into it with some woman and all of a sudden she, you see her plant her feet, you know, planted in the cement and you go, what is wrong? Why can't I budge you about this? That is a human being. You're not allowed to kill other human beings. And, and then you know, she'll say, well, I had an abortion. And I go, well, excuse me, I had two abortions when I was in the throes of these evil people. Yes, right after we got Roe v. Wade, everybody ran right out and got an abortion. But just because I had an mm -hmm. abortion, which I now see the light about and deeply regret mm -hmm. does not mean that I have to, for the rest of my life, defend abortion. It's That's always been a really interesting uh, position for me. You stole some bubble gum from the, well, from the drugstore when you were a little child. You, you can't condemn thievery for the rest of your life. Well, Mallory, it's so interesting that you say that because I have said the same thing forever. I even talked about it with my daughter. The idea, it's like if you experienced, there's two ways to look at that. And you could be talking about anything. Maybe you're, um, you know, like I was divorced once in my 20s and I um, try to help people avoid that today. Well, you don't say, well, you were divorced once, so therefore everything you're saying is moot. No, yes. it's, it's because I experienced it that I'm saying this. And I feel like those are two totally different ways of viewing the world. This is especially true with parenting. Parents think a lot of really liberal parents, liberal-minded parents, I think, think they can't tell their kids how things should be or what they should do because they did it themselves. Yes. Well, no, no, that's <laughs> not that way at all, <laughs> but it's two different ways of, of looking at the same thing. Right. We live and learn. We live and learn. And we, we hope to be able to pass on what we have learned to our children. Amen. We'd like them to stand on our shoulders and go forward from what we've learned. Instead, they have to go back and repeat our mistakes uh, just because we did them? Uh, it makes no sense, sense to me. You know, the problem, Suzanne, is everybody on the other side of this argument is arguing nonsense with us. Yeah. It isn't even as if we're two sides who have legitimate uh, uh, disagreements. You know, you can have uh, a debate where each person has points to make and there's something to be said for each side. But in the debate that we're in right now, it's watered down now to where it's just good versus evil. As far as I'm concerned, you know, the people who, who are uh, fighting for Joe Biden, I mean, excuse me, uh, why in the world would you be voting for a man with a background like this? Not to mention the fact that he's run for president twice and lost abysmally. America does not want this man as president. It's been decided over and over again. 
And and now, you know, we have a, a candidate up here who wants to restore American manufacturing. He wants to restore our economy. He wants to restore our military. He wants to get us to be a sound and sovereign nation without all these uh, criminals leaking in through the borders, all these child molesters and rapists and murderers who they're, they're trying to protect in the sanctuary cities. And so now American citizens aren't safe in the major cities in America because the, the local government there is protecting the criminals. They're protecting murderers. It's, it's the, it, I don't understand how we got to a point well, where we're just arguing with nonsensical ideas. Every single thing they're, they're shoving at us is baloney. Well, yeah. some people aren't aware that the, the roots of all of this has, has, has its roots in cultural Marxism. But you yes. were present at those early meetings of the revolutionaries who would go on to form, the, like you said, the National Organization for Women. So tell people a little bit about that. Well, the National Organization of Women was something started by uh, uh, Betty Friedan and my sister and Gloria Steinem and this whole group of women who got together and decided they didn't like our culture and they were going to rip it apart and turn it into something else. And they, they called it the National Organization of Women. And th these, I went to most of the early Which, excuse me, really quickly, was really quickly, that's so benign. It should be National Organization of Feminist Women, not women, because yeah. then it sounds like all women think alike, but go ahead. It should be National Organization of Complete Disruption <laughs> <laughs> and and Marxism, the, the whole point of it is Marxism. That's all it is. It's Marxist 101. If you go back and study Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels and all of these people, there is the whole deal, the whole thing. And by the way, I try to remark every time I get a chance that Karl Marx never fed his family. His people, his wife and children starved all the time. His two daughters committed suicide in, in pacts with their husbands. I mean, if you're a person where two of your daughters and their husbands committed suicide, uh, there's something there's something to be looked at in your parenting, I think. Uh, uh, Karl Marx is an insidious, invidious, loathsome character that all sorts of people honor now and think is just uh, God on toast. And uh, he invented this crazy thing where he was the champion of the worker. Meanwhile, he never worked a day in his life. Karl Marx never worked a day in his life. He sponged off of his friend Friedrich Engels' wealthy manufacturing family, people who were out there doing things, accomplishing, working in the Western world, making goods, selling goods, and being good you know, members of society. Uh, Karl Marx bled them dry. Uh, trying to uh, start his movement and in his son, their son, Friedrich Engels and, and Marx started this whole craziness. And uh, it spread all over the place because it sounds so good. You know, Suzanne, when you think of the Marxist uh, motto, it's from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. Well, gee, that sounds like a neat plan. We, everybody's got talents. Everybody just does what the thing is that they're talented in, and then they should just be doing it for society, and then they'll just be given a living by society, and you can just have anything according to your needs. Well, you know, Suzanne, if you tell me that, if you say, Mallory, you can have, uh, you can contribute according to your talents as much as you like, 
and then you can just have all of your needs fulfilled. Well, you know, Suzanne, I don't think I'm very talented. And I, there are there things that I really do that well, but I've got a list of my needs here and there are about 2000 items on it. By the way, do you want me to bring out my list now? Uh, this is That's nonsense, great. total nonsense. And you know, the early Christians tried this. Uh, when they first got together, a lot of people try to claim that this is what Christianity is. No, this is not what Christianity is. Christianity is you work. That's what Christianity is. Uh, they tried it in the early days uh, when St. Paul was bringing together all of the early Christians. And they tried it for quite a little bit of a while. And they found out how well that worked. All of a sudden, nobody was working, but everybody wanted to eat. And finally, St. Paul got up and announced, hello, you don't work, you don't eat. That's now our rule. We're not doing any of this communal thing any longer. Everybody has to work except the disabled. And this is how it goes. If you want to have a social um, net, uh, yes, you have the social net for people who have no legs, who are people who are blind, people who have, you know, a widow who's been just lost everything and she has five children and needs a little bit of help to get along. That's how it works. It works where if you're disempowered and you really cannot help yourself, yes, I think people like that should be well taken care of by society. But the rest of us have to get out and work. I'm going to close this, Mallory, that you just said so well with a quote, another quote from your article where you wrote, so many people think the rise of women and the evisceration of our culture are somehow coincidental, but it has been calculated and deliberate. It's the only way America can be, quote, fundamentally transformed, end quote, into the Marxist test tube to dazzle the world. It is the result of hate, hating God, hating life, hating society, hating men, hating babies, hating history, hating our fathers, hating our families, hating our white male founders, hating happiness, hating heterosexuality, hating Western civilization. Is this not madness? That's pretty bold. Yeah. It's about sums it up right there. Yeah. It is. It is about hate. And that's why anybody who's happy, which by the way, really quickly, <clears throat> Um, Amy Comey, Amy Coney Barrett, right? Yes. <laughs> and look at that. You you have happiness right in front of you. A lived a life lived for a woman. Exactly how feminists claim they support. Well, minus the six children, but I mean, um, the idea that you can be happy and be traditional and oh 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 by the way become a Supreme Court justice <laughs> Defi <laughs> defies everything that they've been trying to tell women is impossible to do. I know. I mean, it's great. It's great. I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting. She was just confirmed just today as we were recording this. Um, and, and it's going to be fascinating. I can't believe that Trump got three, I still can't, three court justices in his four-year period. I just cannot get my head around that still. Yeah, if only we could go back and undo John Roberts. He really... I know, poor John Roberts. <laughs> I, I, you know, but they found his name on the manifest for Jeffrey, uh, uh, Jeffrey, what's his name's uh, island, you know. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, his name is on the manifest a number, a number of times on the, the, the flights that went to the Lolita Island. 
-hmm. So the Jeffrey Epstein thing. So uh, what, what I found amazing is that he was completely against Obamacare in June. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he did this 360 degree, just this 180 or whatever they call it, 180 turn, and he wanted to promote it. And, it, and, and from that time on, he's voted with the liberals. So we know that they've got him. They've got him yeah. by the short hairs somewhere. And he's well, their puppet now. He, 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 yeah. He, yeah. Well, it's going to be really interesting with um, Coney Barrett there to see how this changes things. Really exciting times, I have to yeah. say. We just have to wait. So this is now Tuesday when we're recording this. And it's a week from today that we all vote. So it is a big week next week. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my lordy! Um, I'll have to talk to you sometime after that. See how, see how, see how things are then, because yeah. that really is scary. That really is scary because all this stuff that we're talking about literally will either come to more fruition. It's already in fruition, but it, it will just be more firmly implanted in our culture, or it won't, depending on how you vote. Everything that we just talked about for the last hour. Well, you know, I always look at the fact that New York had become hopeless uh, in the in the. Uh, 70s and and 80s new york had just become this incredible mess and 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 they finally uh david dinkins who was our mayor at the time he announced that new york was ungovernable it was a result of modern progress we had progressed so far that now new york was no longer governable i mean we all fell apart laughing when that headline came out in the newspapers because we were living in this cesspool that new york had become my husband and I would be home for dinner at night and we would be just shocked that we were both alive at the end of the day. And I'm not exaggerating. People were getting murdered in the streets right and left. And Rudy Giuliani came in and took over. And Suzanne? I was actually there during that time. I yeah, remember. You what? what? I was living up there. I was in New Jersey yeah. and New York well, at that time. Within yeah. two months, the city began to change so drastically. It just showed that all you need is a leader. Yep. And, and so that's why... People think, well, you know, when Trump gets gets his next uh, 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 presidency, uh, you know, it's it's still going to take forever to dig our way out of this mess that our culture is in and everything. But it it it, it heals very fast once once the right things yes. are in motion mm -hmm. and you've got the right people in place. It's amazing how fast the human race can heal itself. I agree. I agree. Well, Mallory, it's just been a pleasure talking to you. Thank I really, you. It's been wonderful to talk to you. It's just lovely. And I'm, I'm just, I just love talking to people from who were, like I said, had a front row seat because I think it provides such an important um, piece that uh, people, certainly anybody under say 40 years of age, yeah. um, but even 50, it just isn't exposed to enough to really hear, no. hear how it all really went down and what they're dealing with today and, and the genesis yeah. of that. So thank you so well, much for coming on. You. What you're doing is fabulous. Keep getting this information out there. I will. You too, Mallory. I know oh. you're still at it all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. And yeah. I would t I'll tell people too, really quickly about your website. And then also she was on the Eric Metaxas show. Um, well, twice actually, but um, that's, I think on your website as well. So tell everybody. Oh, yeah. And also uh, now I didn't get it in once we got everything going and we did our recording, the EWTN movie. Uh, oh, right. a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, you've got to promote that. It's, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing part two, the gender agenda. And it's a fantastic two hour sumptuous movie. It's so spectacular. Is it out now? Spectacularly. Yes, it's out on EWTN and they, they're repeating it over and over again. 
So you have to just look it up and see when they're, uh, they, I think they've been doing it at 10 o'clock on Saturday nights uh, for the last couple of weeks. I don't know what the schedule going forward is going to be, but they tend to, um, to screen these movies like this often when they have it. And it's, Say the uh, title again. It's called A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, Part 2, The Gender Agenda. And I am one of the main commentators on this uh, two-hour movie. And so I come in and out. I pop in and out all through the movie. And then they gave me the honor of having the last word in the movie, which I love. So if, if you want to participate in, if you want to hear me in this movie or see me in this movie, you have to watch it to the bitter end because <laughs> uh, I get the last, uh, the last remark. Excellent. But uh, it's, a, it's an absolutely gorgeous movie. Wonderful. We'll, we'll definitely check it out. Okay, and your website is M-A-L-L-O-R-Y-M-I-L-L-I, excuse me, E-T-T, Mallory Millett. M-A-L-L-O-R-Y-M-I-L-L-E-T-T dot com. There we go. Two L's, two Millett dot com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mallory. It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much, Suzanne. You take care. Yeah, you too. When you got married things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. And the email of the day is from Stina. She writes, Dear Suzanne, I recently came across your website and found your blog very interesting. My name is Stina, and I'm a 29-year-old single woman living in Sweden. I would love to get some advice on how to navigate the dating world where you meet people online. I'm currently dating a 31-year-old guy who lives outside town. And then she goes on and explains a lot of background there about him and then says, I've noticed that the one that, excuse me, that I'm the one initiating when we shall see each other again. I work full time during the summer, but still manage to make time for him. I'm wondering if it's too late to step down and see if he takes the lead. Also, what do you consider red flags when dating a man? Okay, so that would be one right there, that last example that she's always having to initiate. That's not how it should be. Um, any man who really wants something will go after it. And you want him to, you want to be with somebody who has that initiative. So if you're, if it's like pulling teeth to go out with him, I mean, right there, that's a red flag in my book. So I would not stay with someone who was not making any overtures and I had to do everything. So that's, there's one right there. But another big one, um, I'm going to go through a couple of red flags, especially that I have 
that I keep running into in my coaching business, and I'm, and I'm still shocked every time it happens, the, the, the one that comes to mind first and foremost is that the man is either unemployed or lost professionally. Or maybe he's employed, but it's not at a serious venture. You know, he's just basically, he's not on a clear professional path. I guess that's the best way of putting it. And the problem with that is you don't want to gamble on hoping that your person is going to eventually find himself professionally. Uh, Now, he doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about um, having already arrived um, at something, but to be on a road or on a path shows that he is a fully developed, right, a mature person who's on his way. And that's, that's all you need. You just, if you're, if you're getting with somebody who's just still lost and doesn't know, then you're, you're taking a gamble. And all too often what ends up happening is since so many, so, so few women today are on that same kind of track, most women know what the heck they want to do. And that's a real difference in today's average man and woman. So what happens is they get married and down the line, the woman has, really excelled and the man is still floundering and that's when they call me often so it's 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 kind of a mess so to me this is just the most obvious red flag you know it used to be that parents would tell their kids hey you know if if the guy isn't um if if the guy isn't on a track I mean they don't even say it that way they just say like just find someone who can take care of you basically is what they used to say and you know it's still that way even if women are in the workforce it's still something that you're going to ultimately want most women because invariably you're going to be stepping out of the workforce at some point even if it's just to have a baby for x amount of time um and and you're going to need someone on whom you can depend so that's not popular to tell women anymore to look for but that's a mistake because our biology doesn't change And there's going to come a time when you need to have that flexibility. Okay, another another red flag is drinking and substance abuse, and I think that I think that that's something that's really overlooked today. Um, I know I did in my first marriage because I think the thing about drinking is it's so common that it can be very hard to determine which person is just socially you know, it's just a social drinker and it's okay. And, and which, which person is going to ultimately, um, be more addicted if you want to put it that way, or, you know, not necessarily become an alcoholic, but just be a problem drinker. And then that causes problems in your marriage. So I always say, look at the family because if the family is typically, um, if they're big drinkers, then the, then the children have been raised in that environment and then they're far more likely to become big drinkers themselves. And, I mean, I guess if you're a big drinker, that's not going to be a thing, not going to be a thing, but it just, this is a whole nother conversation really probably for a, um, for a whole episode. But anyway, just pay attention to that, um, because it it can be very deceptive, especially when you're younger and it seems like everyone around you is drinking and you can't determine which one person is going to be problematic. So, um, another one is a people pleaser somebody who has no boundaries and who, um, you know, that's it just doesn't know, doesn't know how to say no, or is very clear about, about boundaries. You know, I think this is something that another, another thing that comes up a lot with my coaching is a complaint that, um, very often the husband will be too tied to his family of origin 
or, um, you know, putting his mother before his wife, that kind of a thing. That's, that's a real red flag too. So you want to watch out for that. Um, and then also what kind of friends, you know, the, the person has, I think that's a really big one too. Cause I think who we spend time with says a lot about who we are. And if you, I mean, you're, there's always going to be someone you don't like, but if it's a bunch of people that you don't like that he's close to, I mean, you could say this for the reverse too, um, you know, for a man with a woman's friends, but this question happened to be from a woman, so I'm just dressing it this way. Um, if he's got a bunch of friends that pull him in a different direction and that he loves and is really close to and you don't identify with them, I think that that is also a red flag. Um, okay, so hope that answers your question, Stina. Um, again, I, sh- I could do a whole show just on red flags, and I probably should. should write that down to, to do soon. And that ends this hour of The Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk with Michael Durkin, whose program, Men of Honor, strives to help men become better fathers, husbands, sons, boyfriends, and community leaders. And don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Venker Show in the Facebook search bar and you'll find it. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.